This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 157 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a tale about a fisherman who exchanges the soul of his own son for bountiful amounts of fish. This is the tale of the Sea Maiden. But if you are a new listener, listen to this episode, and if you like it, why don't you head right back to the very beginning, 156 episodes ago, and see what we've been building up to the journey of Fireside thus far over the past three years. And if you are a returning listener, as always, thank you so, so much for your continued support. If you have not done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard, or if you're not on social media, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com to get in touch. If you have any questions, requests, or even if you just want to say hello, I love hearing from each and every one of you. Order my poetry book, Garden Sea, in paperback via the Headstuff website or on the Kindle via Amazon. Both links are in the description below. Uh, The book has been out a month as of this week, and thank you so much to all of you who have purchased it already. I hope that you've been enjoying it, those that have bought and read it already. I've been sending copies all over the world, all over Ireland, the UK, and America particularly, and it's been wonderful writing all the names on them and sending them all out. Um, it's It's been one of my favorite parts of the entire process of releasing the book. So thank you so so much to all of you who have bought it already. And please do, do those who haven't done so already if you are interested in it while there are still copies left. And of the first edition, no doubt, we'll see if we'll get to a second edition. And if you really do want to support this podcast, you can do do so over at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, you can join Headstuff Plus, and you can pay more if you do so choose as well, and gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. All of the links are in the description below. The tale for this week so as we've begun our look on Gráinne Whale, which if you haven't listened to it was last week's episode, while we're exploring the tales of Ireland's Pirate Queen and we're getting back into the regular rhythm of Fireside, alternating between a myth or a legend on one week and a folktale on the other, I've decided that when I'm doing these folktales again, I'm going to try and exclusively look at Tales of the Sea. 
which has really helped to narrow the focus as I look back through some of my older sources for tales we haven't done yet. And as I look for new books and sources on folklore, it's a lovely bit of focus to have, especially coming from a seafaring background living on the the east coast of Ireland in the seaside town of Wicklow. Uh, it's been really cool reading through some of these tales of the sea because they often are uh, some of the best tales when it's about anything to do with the lakes or the ocean. It's where, because I think it's because there is still such an overwhelming sense of mystery about the ocean because it all, takes up so much of our planet and so much of it is still unexplored other than space. When we get onto space folktales, that's when you'll be really in business. Imagine that years from now, space folklore. We can do the first space folklore right here on Fireside. But these, the tale for this week is this one called The Sea Maiden that I found in one of my classic sources. I've nearly done, I've nearly adapted every story in this book actually, which is by the folklorist Joseph Jacobs and his book on Celtic fairy tales. It's, we will chat more about it afterwards, of course, but this is the tale of the Sea Maiden on Fireside. The Sea Maiden. Once there was a fisherman who was having a very dry spell. Every morning he would untether his little boat hoist his sails, and let the wind take his boat out to sea, and every night he would return home empty-handed. The fisherman had no family of his own, but the more days passed with no income, the more he worried for his own well-being. One day as he sat on board his little boat, exhausted from the failure, the fisherman finally caught something in his net. It was heavy, and it was thrashing violently, and the fisherman pulled it from the surf and dumped it on the deck. To his great shock, he saw that it wasn't a load of fish, but a woman. No, not a woman. A sea maiden. She was not quite a marrow or a selkie. The creature had far more of the appearance of a human but looked as if she dressed with the flotsam of shipwrecks. The sea maiden spoke. I can make it so that every time you throw your net into the waves, it will come back up bursting with fish. Each and every time you will be the most lucrative fisherman in the world. Well, that would be marvelous, said the fisherman. I'm not far from total starvation, and in months I haven't caught so much as to even feed myself. If I do this for you, what will you give me in return? Well, that I don't know. As I said, I am very poor. Will you give me your first-born son? Well, I have no wife. And with my circumstances and lifestyle, I am unlikely to have one in the future, but... Yes, should the circumstances arise, I will give you my firstborn son. Excellent, said the sea maiden. I will come for him on his twentieth birthday. Everything the sea maiden foretold came to pass. Our man became the most bountiful fisherman in the land. 
Every morning he would sail out and late in the afternoon he would come back in with his boat overflowing with fresh fish to sell to the markets. He was able to build himself a big house on a cliff's edge and soon he married a wife he loved and when his wife became pregnant she gave birth to a son. From the day his son was born the fisherman became overwhelmed by the ticking clock above his son's head. He loved the boy, but the fisherman always felt an ache in his chest every time he thought of the day the sea maiden would take his child away. When the child was eighteen, his father had become isolated and distant. The son went to the father and asked, What is the matter, father? I feel like we grow further apart the older I get. There is something greatly the matter, my son, but it is no one's fault or responsibility other than my own. You must tell me, said the boy. Very well. And the fisherman told his son about the bargain with the sea maiden and how on his twentieth birthday the son would be taken away. The boy was not angry at his father, but rather said, Father, don't let this hang over you. Go to the smithy and have him make me a sword. With that sword I will go out into the world and find my fortune, before I am to be the sea maiden's prisoner. So the fisherman went to the blacksmith and had a great broadsword made. He brought it home and the boy gave one swing of the weapon and it shattered into a million shards. The father returned to the smith and another sword was forged, stronger than the last. The sword was brought home and after an hour the blade broke off the hilt. So the fisherman returned a third time to the blacksmith and the weapon maker forged the greatest blade he had done in his entire career. He handed the sword to the fisherman and said, Strong must be the hand to wield this weapon. Well, it's certainly a hand stronger Say that again. Well, it's certainly a hand that's stronger than the last two swords you made him. The father brought the great broadsword home to his son, and the lad put a leather saddle on the back of a black horse and rode out into the world to seek his fortune. Soon the lad came upon the carcass of a sheep. Surrounding the carcass were a black dog, a falcon, and an otter. They were arguing over the eating of the dead livestock. They asked the young lad if he would divide it for them. With his sword, the boy divided the sheep into three equal parts and the predators were all satisfied. The dog said, If swiftness of foot and sharpness of tooth should ever be of help to you, call for me. The falcon said, if swiftness of wing and sharpness of claw can ever get you out of a jam, call for me. And the otter said, I may be cute, but I'm an absolutely vicious bastard, and if running on the floor of the sea can be of aid, call for me. The boy thanked the animals and continued on his way. Next he came to a dairy farm, and came upon a dairy maid crying. What is the matter? the lad asked. Sobbing, the girl said, There is a three-headed monster that is terrorizing this land. He demands a sacrifice every month, and this month it is to be the king's daughter. That's terrible, said the young lad. Don't worry, I'll save her. 
you, but you're poor and therefore of no worth. She doesn't need your help. The general at arms is going to save her. The next day, the king's daughter and the general of the castle went out to the black rock of the big lock, which rhymes, making it all the more sinister. This was the monster's lair. They could hear the beast first, heavy breathing and grunting. Then they could smell the stench of stale blood and flesh. And finally they saw the ugly, ferocious, three-headed ogre. With one glance, the general turned on his heels and fled from the scene, leaving the princess at the mercy of the giant. The girl screamed when from behind came the haughty young lad, riding his black horse with his great sword, and he cut off one of the monster's heads. The beast slunk back to its lair. The princess thanked the young lad. But the monster will be back tomorrow, and he will come for me. Don't worry, said the lad, as he tied a knot around the monster's head. Take this back to the king. I will stay here. If you return tomorrow, I will give you another head to take home, until the monster is defeated. The princess gave the lad a ring, and she carried off the big head. But before the princess could return home, she was intercepted by the general, who told her, If you don't tell everyone that I cut off the monster's head, I will kill you with my own bare hands. And so it went. The next two mornings the princess returned to the black rock on the big lock, and the ogre came to take her, and the lad took his head. He would tie a knot around the head, and the princess would give him a piece of her jewellery before she would return the head to the king and tell him that it was the general-at-arms who had done the deed. When the beast was finally dead, the king decided the daughter should marry the general. The three heads were displayed on the altar, which is quite gothic, to be fair. But before the ceremony, the princess said, We should take the knots off these heads, and only the man who slew the beast would be able to undo the knots without cutting them. The strategy worked a treat. The general could not budge the knots, and like he was best at doing, ran away. But the young lad was there waiting. He easily undid the knots, and the two were married. But not long after that, the boy turned twenty. And remember the sea maiden? She came to collect what was owed her. No one could even do anything about it. The moment it was the lad's birthday, he was spirited away to the lair of the sea maiden. The lad's new bride would sit by the seashore every day, crying into the foam for her lost love. But one day a soothsayer told the girl of one way to get her man back. The girl went to the shore the next day with a harp and began to play. The sea maiden soon appeared because no creatures love music more than the creatures of the sea. The princess ceased to play. Don't stop, cried the sea maiden. Show me my husband, said the girl. The sea maiden huffed and reached into the water and pulled the head of the young lad above the surface. The princess continued to play, 
and every time she stopped, the sea maiden would reveal more and more of the lad's shoulders, torso, and legs. When he was finally totally out of the water, the young lad called on the falcon and was transformed into one and flew away. The sea maiden was furious and took the princess as her captive instead. The young lad was delighted to be free, but devastated his wife was now in his place. He vowed to rescue her. The soothsayer told the lad that there was only one way to defeat the sea maiden. On the island of her lair, there was a deer, and inside the deer was a hooded crow, and in the crow there was a salmon, and in the salmon an egg, and in the egg was the soul of the sea witch. If the egg was destroyed, the sea maiden would die. Getting to the island was the next problem. If he swam, the sea maiden would capture the lad. But with his trusty black horse from the coast of the cliff, the rider galloped as hard as he could and bounded from shore, landing hard on the island. It was a very small piece of land, and the hind was easily found, but not so easily caught. So the lad called on the great black dog to hunt the deer. When the doe had been taken down, from her mouth flew a hooded crow, the boy called on the falcon, who gripped the smaller bird in her talons, until from the mouth of the crow came a salmon, who dove back into the waves. But the boy called on the otter, who ravaged the fish, until the egg was spat back onto the land. The boy was just about to step on and crush the egg when the sea maiden emerged from the foam. Wait! Don't step on that egg! Give me back my wife, then. The sea maiden tossed the girl to the young lad, but the two were still trapped on the island. They could not leap back to shore from there, so the young lad smashed the egg and dragged his foot, turning every piece to dust and goop, and the sea maiden turned to sea foam and was dead. The End <laughs> The Headstuff Podcast Network is a hub for the creative and the curious. And if you become a member of Headstuff Plus, you will be supporting your favourite podcasters do what they do best. You'll also get access to exclusives, bonus material and discounts on merchandise from every show on the network. There are plenty of shows to start listening to right now, including Double Love, Basically with Stephanie Preisner and Dubland with PJ Gallagher and Suzanne Kane, as well as a whole host of new shows. Audio dramas from the Bootsy Boys and their only stories, your favourite film classics with the Cinestream Club, or all your questions answered by the Agony Rants team of comedian Garod Farley and Irish national treasure Neve Cavanagh. Find all these shows and more on the Headstuff Podcast Network wherever you're listening right now, or become a Headstuff Plus member at headstuffpodcasts.com. And that is the tale of the Sea Maiden on Fireside, and I hope you enjoyed it. Really like this story. It was it was one I hadn't known before reading before researching it for this tale and um, but i'm so delighted i found it i found it through specifically looking for sea and ocean and anything nautical and this was the first one i found that was that i really really liked uh, it felt what's interesting and what i quite like about it is first of all it feels very like 
going back to the the real folklore roots of Fireside because it is a tale from a book that a lot of the original tales are from. Even the the very, very first story on Fireside, uh, The Giant's Causeway or The Legend of Nachmani, was one I found from Joseph Jacobs. I found it in the W.B. Yeats book, but a lot of the tales in that are Joseph Jacobs' versions. And then another book I read was just a book specifically of Joseph Jacobs' tales for any of the ones that aren't featured in the eighth story. So there's there's elements there, and I've spoken a good deal about how my favorite way of adapting folktales is to read them a few times and then totally forget about the version I've read and just write my own version. Keeping to the same plot beats and usually not changing a huge amount, but if I don't have to be constantly looking back and forth for details, I feel I have a better sense of the story. I feel it's a stronger story then as well if it really... Get, leaves an imprint on my mind and then I can write with more of a sense of flow and then my own voice starts coming out and that's where I can start having my own humor and comments throughout the tales as well and I really felt that with this one I didn't have to glance back at it at all I just very much knew the version of this that I wanted to tell because it actually is longer in the original version as well when the lad first rides out um on his great black horse with his great sword, which is another thing that's interesting about this story, considering it's very like the origins of Fireside, the riding out with the horse and saving the king's daughter and defeating the monsters is very like Welsh mythology, which we have been looking at so much in the past few months. It was a very heroic tale. And maybe it's no small coincidence then that this is actually not an Irish folktale, but a Scottish one. Joseph Jacobs specializes in Celtic mythology, and it is not specifically said that it's set in Scotland, although usually when it's a bit vaguer, you can, when it's not specifically naming places, the Irish seem to be a lot more... Uh, seem to be a lot more fond of rooting stories in very specific towns and villages, whereas the Scottish have a bit more of a of a generalized sense, much like German folklore do. You know, um, none of the grim tales are set in any specific place in Germany. It's just forest, town, village, which gives it a more of a universality, which is quite nice. I usually like rooting... Uh, stories in places only for my own mind as a writer so I can visualize them and tell them better but I really like that sense of universality which you get in certainly in many of the Scottish tales I've I've looked on but it's glaringly obvious when it's Scottish because of certain phrasing and you'll always have a mention of a bothy and a bothy is a very Scottish thing which was a, a servant's quarters on a land that would or they were more it was more a house for if a landowner had like day laborers people traveling through who were maybe doing a couple of days work it was the place that they would stay in or the travelers would stay in it was usually always left open um i was myself uh myself and my now ex-girlfriend we were meant to go to a a bothy on the island of sky um just just after the first uh, lockdown came and we never got to go to there, but uh, that's a place I always wanted to go back to because I always wanted to stay in a body. But so that's that's a, always a dead giveaway phrase. Um, but 
another one that I'd never seen before was at the end when he's talking about when the soothsayer talks about the the hind the, the the Russian doll, the rattling bog way of defeating the sea witch, which is the the doe with the crow, with the salmon, with the egg. And I had to look up because it wasn't described as a hooded crow in the story. It was described as a hoodie. And nothing about it being even a bird, much less it being a crow. Now, maybe it seems obvious that it was a hooded crow calling it a hoodie, but I had to look up hoodie uh, definition, and naturally the one that came up was like a hooded jumper. And I thought, okay, I might be in trouble here, but then I just looked up different dictionary definitions and more archaic translations, and it came up specifically as as an archaic Scottish slang for a hooded crow. Um. So, despite being very much so, I think that it being a Scottish folktale is only relevant because of those almost Middle English, heroic Welsh mythology, (coughs) Anglo-Saxon influences on it being very much a hero's journey. But there was a lot more to that middle section, including a term the boy has as, as a herd, as a cow's herd, and different adventures he goes on. But that distracted more from the nautical elements of it. I wanted to get back as as kind of swiftly as possible to the Sea Maiden, uh, into where it started, I want because it starts and finishes in the ocean and kind of becomes a land tale in the middle. Um, so I wanted to get back to the Sea Maiden as soon as possible, which meant, of course, giving enough time to the princess and this general at arms who I particularly liked the show tell your father that it was me who cut off the giant's head or I'll kill you. Uh, Definitely like that lad. And yeah, probably the most interesting, I wouldn't even necessarily say original because you do often have things within things within things, but the the way, the method of defeating the sea, which as I've spoken about before, I'm particularly fond of Um, because we get these three animals, these three animals that the young lad meets love talking animals in folklore it's such a trope and it's one i love so much especially after so recently doing the episodes on a few of my poems from garden sea um which were often featuring talking animals and there's just something i love so much maybe it is maybe it is just because it's it's something so childlike there's such childlike wonder talking animals in stories but these three, this motley crew of a dog, a falcon, and an otter. Um, <laughs> I know uh, some young kids listen to this, so I apologize for the swear. Uh, it just made me laugh so much. I love, I love vicious, cute animals. You know, otters are, are cute, and they hold, they hold hands. They hold hands when they're sleeping to stop themselves floating away and they smash their food on their bellies and they keep rocks and like hold on to them as as not as pets but they do like hold on to the same possessions and all and they're great but they are absolutely vicious and i always love well if i have to personify a little cute animal that is also vicious i like that to be be well aware and Decided not to edit it out, so apologies. 
maybe I should have put a trigger warning for there that this episode would be rated PG rather than the usual G. Although there is there has been content in these besides language, uh, descriptions of violence, etc., that you would think would make this a bit of an older podcast. But uh, howsomever, that is that is by the by. Um, but yeah, I do hope. I do hope you all enjoyed this tale of the Sea Maiden. Very good to get back to a full-length traditional folk tale. It has it's felt like it's been a while, which I suppose it has. We were doing Welsh mythology for so long. But now we're definitely back into the, the proper, the typical rhythm of Fireside. And next week we will get back to Gráinne Whale, who is now Pirate Queen, and we will get the... The, the good years of her sailing the high seas, terrorizing the coastlines of the west of Ireland. And I'm looking forward to exploring more folktales of the sea as well. This feels like the right thing to be doing. Um, I'm still in Dubai, uh, which, is, which has been wonderful. Um, I feel I've really settled. I'm still gigging over here at the, the World Expo at the Irish Village uh, until the end of March. Uh, I feel I've really settled into the gig now. Uh, it's really nice. I've kind of built into my own work routine. All. Dubai is very much not my kind of place, but I'm really enjoying the work and enjoying being here. I'm very grateful for it. And it's really nice just to be into my rhythm of of writing and, and working. And it's just really good. Um, and I'm really delighted. And I do have copies of Garden Sea with me to uh to sell my wares at the gigs as well so i will leave things there but thank you so much for listening please follow me over on instagram at fireside bard support the podcast at headstuffpodcast.com versus a little as five euro a month although you can pay more if you want you can join headstuff plus order garden sea on paperback or via kindle you can get a kindle anywhere but also the paperback will ship anywhere in the world the links are all in the description below Next week, we'll have another tale about Grania Whale. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 